welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Today on the podcast, we have our first guests. We're excited to bring you interviews with uh, trial by combat guru and uh, mock trial competitor and coach extraordinaire Justin Bernstein, as well as Eric Reutemann of Ohio State, who's going to be one of the competitors at trial by combat. Uh, but before we dive into Trial by Combat, I think we have to take a, a quick second to acknowledge just really what a fantastic response we've gotten. You know, we're recording this um, on a Wednesday evening, and it's been about, I think, just about three days since we released our first episode. Um, and we've had a really fantastic response. And, and, you know, Drew, I, I know we talked about it in the preview episode that we're hoping this was going to go somewhere, but I don't know if either one of us anticipated that it would, you know, go somewhere like this as quickly as it has. No, it, it's really been amazing to watch. I think we're at about 200 downloads as of tonight, and I didn't imagine it was going to get like that at least until the season started back up, um, just to see the amount of interest that it stirred up and the number of fellow mockers that are enjoying this is really, really amazing. I, I know personally I've had numerous people reach out to me via various social media platforms telling me about how much they're enjoying the podcast, how much they want to be a guest on the podcast, and how glad they have that something like this has started. And it's really, really encouraging. So honestly, to our listeners, thank you so much. Uh, it really, really is amazing to hear from you guys. Yeah, I, I echo that completely. I, you know, I've had a lot of people reach out with similar thoughts. And, and I think, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of people out there like us who are a little bit crazy about this stuff. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit is an understatement. And so I, I think this is exactly what we're hoping for, right? We're hoping for this to be an opportunity for the discussion that everyone has with their teams and with the competitors that they're friends with you know, to kick that out into the open and, and just really dive into that. So, you know, with with that spirit in mind, today's episode, um, we're really lucky that we've got for the first time, like a large summer event for AMTA competitors that we can dig into, of course, and that's Drexel University Law School's Trial by Combat. And so the focus of today's episode is to dig into trial by combat. Um, like I said, we have two interviews with people associated with the competition that I think you're going to really enjoy. Um, I'm pretty sure at this point, anyone listening is pretty, is at least somewhat familiar, but just so everyone knows, I'm looking at Drexel's website here. Um, the trial by combat as, as it's described is the inaugural first one-on-one -on -one collegiate mock trial national championship. You know, they, they're selling it as the winner will be crowned the best co college competitor in the country. Um, competitors are going to get the case on the morning of Friday, June 22nd. So just over a day from now, and they're going to have approximately 24 hours to prepare. Um, now I imagine a fair amount of people, you know, listening out there have written their direct in the hotel room the night before. Uh, but hopefully that, you know, that usually only happens in October and November. Um, but these folks will have 24 hours before they dive into four trials over the course of a short period of time. They're going to go once as a, prosecution attorney once as a defense attorney um and then once as a witness on either side as well and then there'll be a final a fifth final round on uh sunday afternoon involving the final two competitors and i think some provided witnesses so the field we're going to talk about the field for just a minute because it's 
it's really unbelievable. Uh, it Justin Bernstein, when we took, you know, when we've already talked to him as we we're recording this, and uh, when you hear his interview, you know, he talks about how difficult it was to pare down this field. So, Drew, I'm interested to know, you know, who are a few names that you have your eye on, you know, as you're looking at this field and, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to pick people out with 16 incredible decorated competitors, but, but who are you looking at as people that you're, you're watching to maybe win this thing? Well, I, I want to start by saying that Ben, you really hit the nail on the head. These are 16 of the best mock trial competitors in the country. And by all means of the imagination, any one of them could win it. Uh, I think that when I'm looking at this, uh, field just for someone that I think people may not realize just what a force they may be. Uh, two names come to mind. The first is Rachel Summers, and the second is Sarah Stebbins. I'll break them down. I think that Rachel Summers is going to be easily the best expert witness in this field. Uh, witnessing is a large aspect of the uh, trial by combat field. It's not quite as valued as being an attorney. That being said, I still think that her ability to control expert witnesses and to portray them, I think is going to really push her to a, a high level um, in this competition. I think that her ability um, in that regard is is pretty much second to none. And I'm excited to see how she does with it. Uh, we do know that the uh, whatever the witness is going to be, it will be a professional type witness, which I think is right up her alley. And she's going to really do well with that. Uh, the other one I mentioned was Sarah Stebbins. And Sarah Stebbins is someone that I have been fortunate enough to go against twice this year. And let me say that I do not want to make it a third. Sarah is probably someone that has the best command over the rules of evidence of anyone that I've seen. And that's not to take away from anyone else in this field. I am absolutely certain that uh, there are many, many competitors in this field that have excellent, excellent command of the rules of evidence. But wow, Sarah is just really, really scary to see in trial. She is really, really powerful, and she really knows her stuff. Uh, there is a reason why she is the most decorated competitor in this field. Uh, for those that don't know, she has won 23 awards over the course of her mock trial career. Uh, there are a lot of people that probably haven't competed in, in 23 trials that may be listening, and it's really amazing that she's gotten 23 awards. Uh, it's really, really, a, a really an outrageous feat to have accomplished by her. Uh, I think that that type of uh, experience and that type of prowess is going to yield her to a very, very strong showing. Uh, that being said, there are 14 other competitors that are going to definitely be very, very good contenders. So, Ben, do you have anyone else that you think you're looking at that uh, may shock some people? So, I mean, first of all, I agree wholeheartedly with, with both of those choices. I've gotten to see them both compete before and, you know, both um, Sarah and Rachel are just stellar, stellar competitors. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to think how to pare down this. Um, the name that stood out to me um, just on first glance, when I looked through the field, um, you know, at, at UMBC, we, we hit Rutgers a lot. We tend to go to a lot of similar tournaments. Um, and Mike Kleinman is just, one of the most likable advocates that I think I have just ever seen go. He's one of those people. Um, and, and I think this is something that when you're going to have so many high caliber, high technical advocates, it's something like this that could, you know, make or break a, a tournament like this one. Um, he just, you know, he's, 
he just makes you want to listen when he talks. I think he's really dynamic and uh, I just, I'm very interested to see how he does because every time that I've seen him go when we've competed against them or if I'm ever scouting their team, he's just, he just catches your attention from the beginning. And so I think, you know, he's obviously a very technically talented advocate as well, but he has that likability factor. That's, you really can't teach it. And then the other person that I'm, I'm fascinated by, and I'm really glad that he's in this field is Dennis Tincelli from UVA. Uh, we have hit them here and there. And then I got to see him at the Wilmington Orcs when I was scouting this year. And, you know, his experience is almost all as a witness, which makes him pretty unique in this field. And I'll say this, um, as a judge, especially, but also as a spectator, I very little phases me as a judge. I make it an effort to show, you know, very little reaction. And as a spectator, I'm usually just listening. And he's the only person I can remember um, maybe with the exception of Javari Lucas, who's, who's coaching, um, Dylan from, from Richmond, but, uh, Dennis is an, uh, witness who just made me laugh without even thinking about it. The way you would laugh if someone you knew told you a joke, he is dynamic. His characters are incredibly well thought out, thought out and incredibly polished. Now, granted witnessing is worth less at this competition than attorney scores, but, I think he could have a little bit of a of a leg up. You know he's going to be prepared as an advocate because he's coming from UVA, and so you know he's going to be ready. You know his coach is going to have him ready to go, and he has competed as an attorney before. Um, but I just I'm really excited to see how he can do in a field with so many decorated attorneys, given you know that his the bulk of his experience is, is as a witness. So those are the two names that that jumped out to me. But I mean there are just so many good people. You know I mean you have. Elizabeth Bays, whose you know mock trial resume speaks for herself, and Katie Harper, who has brought Northern Illinois, you know, really to to you know new heights, and Nick Ramos, who is Nick Ramos and has such a unique and powerful style, you know, Zeke Starr, who's been responsible for helping UT Chattanooga grow, you know, into really a national force, and I'm, there are so many other people I'm not mentioning. This is going to be a fantastic weekend, and I am just over the moon that I get to go and judge. I am really jealous of you that you're going to get to judge so many of them, Ben. It's going to be a fun weekend for you, I'm sure. And the two that you mentioned are are really great choices too. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to see Mike Climango as well, and he really is just a scary, likable guy. And going against him, it, it sucks because you you want to root for him. He's just so friendly, uh, and and I can confidently say that Dennis Tincelli, if this was a character witness there would be no question at who would be the strongest. And I'm excited to see what he does um, trying to adapt to a more professional expertise role. Um, it will be a lot of fun to see. I wanted to add one last thing. Uh, you know, I, I got to be honest with all of the listeners. My reason for choosing Sarah Stebbins as one of the two that I think we should look out for is a little bit uh, self-serving. Um, for those that didn't know, Haverford uh, played Georgia Tech at, at Nationals and uh, call it fluke judging, if you will. But I managed to outrank her uh, in our opening statements at one point. And uh, I don't know. I think it would be kind of cool if the uh, person that wins trial by combat I may have beaten in a round. Uh, granted, it should be noted that Tech won that ballot nonetheless and Sarah beat me on the other ballots. But hey. One is all that counts, and at least I can say that one person in the entire universe 
thought that maybe I was a little bit better than her on a single opening statement. Uh, so I'll take what I can get. But uh, really, good luck to all these competitors. It's going to be a fun weekend. And and Drew, look, nobody as a as a, a UMBC alum, nobody believes in the transitive property of victory more than me. You know, the, our victory over the University of Virginia in the NCAA tournament, by my book, means that we won the tournament. So I, you know, I I can't argue with that. <laughs> um, and and I should be remiss, by the way, as I was looking through this list, I I think my eyes skipped over by accident. We can't not mention Danny Kunkel, who obviously just closed for our defending national champions. You know, I mean, when she's in the field, she's always going to be a threat. Um, And then there are just several other names on this list that we haven't mentioned. And, you know, please don't get offended that we haven't mentioned them. We could sit here and talk for hours and hours about the, you know, strengths of this entire field. I think it's going to be fantastic. Um, And I'm, you know, looking forward to see how it turns out. So, the nice thing about today's uh, podcast is we've got some fantastic in-depth discussion on trial by combat and mock trial as a whole with the decorated uh, veteran of mock trial, Justin Bernstein. So we're going to move to that interview next. And then after that, you'll hear an interview with Eric Reutemann, the competitor from Ohio State, two-time All-American who was gracious enough to sit down and chat with us about his strategy for how he's preparing for trial by combat. So we'll talk to Justin Bernstein after this. Welcome back to the Mock Review. Our guest, our first guest, is actually the first guest we'll ever have on the podcast. Now, his uh, mock trial resume would take a long time to go through, but the uh, gist of it is, of course, he's got a long and storied history in Amto and Mock Trial. He was a three-time All-American at UC Berkeley, a coach for NYU's 2010 National Championship team, a coach for UC Irvine when they were number one in the country twice, the Amto president from 2014 to 2016, He's now the Associate Director of Trial Advocacy at Drexel University's Thomas Klein School of Law. I am talking, of course, about Justin Bernstein. And Justin, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. Yeah, we're, we're, we're excited with where this is going to go. And I think trial by combat is a really cool first thing to, to talk about. Um, but before we get into that, I'm curious. I like origin stories. I'm always interested in how people you know, sort of how the talons got sunk when it came to mock trial. So I am curious because I genuinely don't know how did, you know, going back to UC Berkeley, how did you first get involved in mock trial? And what was it about the activity that kind of landed for you? So I didn't do high school mock trial. Um, in high school, I did uh, trivia competitions. As you can tell, I'm, I was cool from the very beginning. And uh, when I got to college, I didn't enjoy it the the trivia competition team as much. So I did that my first year. And so my second year I was looking for a new activity and went to the club fair and there was a tall girl with curly hair in front of one table. And I thought, I want to join this group. Um, and, uh, she and I, we, uh, dated for a bunch of years, but that was of course the Cal mock trial team. And, uh, it was great. Uh, the, uh, the team was, uh, the best thing I did in college. Uh, it was how I got started with mock trial uh, and I loved it from the very beginning. I, I don't know that I was good at it from the beginning, but I loved it from the beginning. And and you, you went to NYU for law school and you did some trial ad there as well, if I'm correct. Yeah. So I, uh, I went to NYU with the thought that I would get involved with the, the mock trial team there. And 
they weren't very serious. I don't mean that they weren't good, but they didn't put a ton of time into it. They weren't uh, former Amter competitors, uh, at least not for the most part. And so uh, I had an opportunity to get involved with the undergraduate team as a coach, and that seemed like a better uh, use of time. They were really excited. They wanted some direction, and they had a lot of talent, and I thought this seems like a really great fit. Uh, and so it was the first time I'd ever, I'd ever coached, and I loved it. So, Justin, I've been wondering, uh, what brought you to Drexel specifically? I, I got uh, a really random and phenomenal email uh, a year and a half ago. So I, I guess I should fill in a little bit of the gap there. I coached at Irvine after law school for seven years. And in 2013, I said, okay, I'm done coaching. I'm going to focus on career and um I thought I was done. Uh, and a bunch of high school teams that we'd worked with as, as sort of uh, to do fundraisers asked me to work with them. And so I started working with them. But I really thought that in terms of coaching my own team, uh, I wasn't going to be doing it anymore. Uh, but last January, so I guess January 2017, I got an email from the woman who founded the Drexel program, uh, the director of the program, Gwen Stern. She's fantastic. And she said, how would you feel about uh, interviewing for a faculty position and uh, a coaching position here at Drexel. He'd be coaching and teaching trial advocacy full-time. And it wasn't an easy decision because, of course, California and Philadelphia are not exactly neighbors. Uh, but this really was a dream job. And so I, I did the interview, and when I got to find out more about it, I was like, this is amazing. I can't believe I have this opportunity. And I know, and and I have a couple law school mock trial questions I want to get into later, but how much, I guess, before you got this i know you know over the last several years drexel has been you know building their their program and you know they've always been very successful but they've really been diving into it over the last couple of years did you know much about that before you got interest from them or was it sort of you know out of the blue it was mostly out of the blue i knew a little bit about drexel because they made a big splash a few years ago when they got the huge gift from tom klein uh when they became the klein school of law uh, so I'd heard a little bit about the school. I didn't know about their success in trial advocacy. Uh, but of course, when I, when I interviewed, I came to be very impressed by the breadth of the program, their commitment to trial advocacy education, to competition, uh, to getting uh, our students' jobs in the trial ad world. So yeah, uh, it, it's a very impressive track record the schools amassed before I arrived. So now I know um, just from doing some research and reading. So you you came to Drexel as we sort of transitioned to trial by combat. And I read in, I think it was your hiring announcement, that uh, you, you asked for two things. You asked for the scholarships, what I think some people are aware of, and then you asked specifically for this tournament, for trial by combat. And I'm curious, what is it, you know, why did you want this specifically? Why the tournament? Yeah, why, like what, I mean, I imagine when you're coming in and they're they're making this big investment, like, there was a lot of things that you could have said, we need to do this. And what was it about this, you know, idea and bringing it to the AMTA level that, that, you know, you were thinking about? I thought that if the school was really as uh, devoted to trying to do well in trial competition as, as it said, and as it clearly is, then there was a huge opportunity to try to recruit undergraduate competitors. In many ways, the quality of competition in AMTA is a secret. I mean, anybody who sees these AMTA competitions knows that the, that students, students like Drew and the other five or 6,000 students who compete nationwide are phenomenal, just incredible. 
And law schools don't fully appreciate it. Um, I think that's changing a little bit, but not as fast as you'd expect. I mean, I don't know how many former college competitors have to keep winning these law school tournaments before people realize, hey, these students are really terrific. I mean, almost every Top Gun winner has been a former AMTA competitor. Uh, many recent national champions in law school have been former AMTA competitors. And I thought, absolutely, I want to train our students at Drexel to become better trial lawyers. But if we can also recruit some AMTA students, some AMTA stars to, to come at Drexel and I can try to help them get better, I thought we could really build an incredible program. And so from day one, uh, my goals were to try to uh, draw attention from AMTA students. And part of it, of course, is self-serving. I, I wanted really phenomenal talent. But also, I think that a lot of AMTA students want to do law school mock trial, but they don't know where to do it or which schools are really committed to it. And I thought that if we could signal to that community that this is a school that is uniquely committed to trial advocacy and trial competition, that that might be a really good fit. So I wanted a scholarship because law school is expensive, and I, and I thought that that would help uh, tell people that we we're going to literally put our money where our mouth was. But I thought that trial by combat, and I didn't have a name for it at the time, but a one-on-one -on -one competition would really help uh, let the world know who we were. Uh, I'd been to Top Gun uh, three times as a coach. I just went for the fourth time. But at the time, I'd been three times, and I'd started the high school version of this, Gladiator. And I knew it would be a great format. But in some ways, AMTA is actually the best position to run a one-on-one -on -one tournament because college mock trial as opposed to high school and law school mock trial has a very identifiable, communicative community. I mean, whether it's mock trial confessions or perjuries or people seeing each other socially at tournaments, there's a huge network. I mean, everybody knows who the elite teams are. They know who the top competitors are. There's discussion of who the top competitors are in a way that doesn't really exist in law school or high school. Those networks are much more uh, local um, and, and, or, and undeveloped. So I thought, I think that if we build a one-on-one -on -one tournament, I think people are going to want to do it. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you have other questions about it, but I'll tell you now that it's exceeded, the interest it's received has exceeded my hopes for year one. Um, but the the impetus right away was I thought if we build this, people are going to want to come to the event and hopefully that'll get Drexel's name out there. So now that we've kind of moved on into the trial by combat realm, I think that something that I've always been curious is how did you come up with the rules for it? Uh, obviously, it's very similar to Top Gun, but it's very different than what uh, most competitors have seen in AMTA. And I've been really curious as to how you chose the categories. And if you could just kind of break down those scoring metrics for us, that would be really, really great. Sure. So I can't claim credit for inventing the checkmark ballot. Uh, Top Gun does that. And I just thought it was fantastic. When I got to go to the tournament in 2013, um, and as soon as I was there, I was like, this is the best tournament I've ever seen. Uh, the caliber of competition is great. It's so well run. Their ballot in particular is really great because it's all head-to-head. -head. It's really easy for judges to score, and it it lists the five categories. They they use opening, direct, cross, closing, and objections, objection slash evidence. Uh, you asked how I came up with the, the rules and sort of the scoring for trial by combat. In between was the creation of Gladiator. Uh, so this is the fourth year Gladiator. So I guess our first year was 2014. Uh, 
Gladiator's a little different than Top Gun uh, because the witnesses are scored too. The students perform both as attorneys and then other rounds as witnesses. And that's, of course, because in high school mock trial and college mock trial, witnesses are scored. And so I wanted that element to be present. Uh, I created additional categories for attorneys. I think I added uh, uh, two categories in year one. And those those categories have changed over time. Uh, I think this year we're using improvisation and use of exhibits. Improvisation, because I want to make sure that uh, competitors are rewarded for their ability to adapt in trial and not just deliver a script. And use of exhibits, because I want students to actually be using the exhibits. And also, I think it helps balance the case problem. Uh, Use of exhibits tends to advantage the prosecution uh, because they have more evidence. And as you know, in criminal cases, the prosecution is often a disadvantage. So I saw that as a way to level the playing field a little bit. I'm I'm really glad that you brought up case balance um, because one of the things that you know any AMTA competitor knows is that when cases uh, first come out, they can feel very sided. And uh, I'm really curious, you know, as you wrote the Nationals case, and you know, clearly there were edits on that. You know, how have you gone about uh, the editing process for this case? You know, unfortunately, you are everyone's going to have one day to look at it. So there's not going to be quite the thorough uh, once over that you often get when you publish other AMTA cases. So, uh, you know, that metric is a great example, but are there any other things you've tried to do to uh, extra balance the case? Yeah, it's a good question. So I guess I'll start with a couple thoughts I have on, on the case balance. Number one, I think that the way we feel about case balance when we read a case isn't necessarily the best metric for whether or not it's a balanced case. I know in AMTA all the time people say this is an imbalanced case, the, the prosecution's got too much evidence, the plaintiff's got too much evidence, I'm a defense attorney, why'd you screw me over? And then the ballots come back and it's 53% for the defense. As a case author, I'm not concerned with whether the defense feels like they can win or whether they feel like they have enough evidence. If the ballots are running 50-50, I feel pretty good about it. Uh, but I also think the case balance sometimes gets overrated at nationals. Um, it gets overrated in tournaments that are paired high, high because it orcs absolutely case balance is crucial because if you're, if you have a tough round three matchup, you want to take the strong side of the case, win it, and then draw an easier opponent in round four when you're on the weak side. Fine. But at nationals, there are no weak round fours. It's high, high. And so other than the final round, it all sort of evens out. And like this year's case, it was, I don't know, 57, 56%, I think at nationals which isn't as balanced as the last couple. But I'm not sure that makes a difference except for a final round situation. Of course, that came down to a single point on one ballot out of seven. So bottom line is I think case balance tends to get overrated at uh, tournaments that are paired high-high. That being said, you're right. When you're dealing with a tournament uh, like this one where you've got a 24-hour prep period, you don't get the opportunity to sort of revise it, test it, uh, play around with it. and I'll tell you the scariest case I've written was the first Gladiator case because it was the first time I'd written a one-on-one case. I didn't know what the case balance was going to look like. Uh, but I'm pleased that in our first three years, I don't think we've had a case that was more imbalanced than 53-47. And I think two of them were, were 50-50 or 51-49. I have no idea what this one's going to be. Obviously, I'm hoping it's it's close to 50-50. But we're, we're doing rounds three and four high-high. So I'm not super worried about it. And and along those lines, too, you have a really, and you alluded to this earlier, but you have a really interesting aspect of this competition that's different from Top Gun, obviously, which is that you have 
a, you have witnesses scores that count obviously for for lesser but you have that and you have these you know what what i find interesting what i'm curious about is just coming to that decision and then also just you know you have this these 16 competitors who are all like elite competitors and you could in theory have a situation where someone's witness performance could help carry another person to the final round or you know i'm sure that people will be thinking about that so do you did you have any reservations about a having i guess am to you know having witnesses count as a score and whatnot and b just coming up with that format and how it was going to work yeah obviously there's a balance between wanting it to be primarily an advocacy competition but also respecting the fact that witnesses are really important in mock trial uh, we, we think we have that balance by the fact that on every ballot, there's seven categories for lawyers and three categories for witnesses. So right away, 70% are, are attorney scores. Um, I can tell you in practice, the attorney performance really drives who wins. Uh, like I said, we have the three years of Gladiator. Uh, only once in those three years has somebody finished top two in the attorney performance and not made the finals. Uh, and that person was dead last in witnessing and they finished third. So it takes a lot usually if you're at the top of the attorney pile, not to advance. Uh, that doesn't mean the witnessing could make a difference. I'm sure it can and it may at the margins. But if you're a strong attorney, uh, that's usually going to carry you pretty far in these competitions. So, Justin, one other thing that I've been really curious about, and you know, a lot of the gladiator cases um, people are able to view, but uh, you know, when you only have one witness, it's tough to build an entire case around that. And I'm really curious, you know, how have you gone about writing a case in which, uh, as the prosecution, you can make a reasonable, beyond a reasonable doubt argument with just one witness? That is an excellent question. And in some ways, I think it's harder to do it in our format than it is at Top Gun. What I mean by that is our time limit. So Top Gun, they start with one witness per side on day one, and they will add witnesses throughout the weekend. It's tough on day one is the prosecution with only a single witness, but you're also allowed to read in deposition testimony. You can introduce exhibits, and that sort of bolsters your case. Here, if you want to read anything into the record, that takes up your valuable time. So it is really hard to write a case where the prosecution has enough with one witness to not only try to meet its burden, but also to try to win mock trial points and check marks. I'll tell you the way I try to write a criminal case. Uh, and... Obviously, it's going to differ a little bit when I'm on a committee, but when I'm writing it alone, my thought is I'm going to write it as if this person is obviously guilty. And if I leave them clearly guilty, it's going to come out around 50-50, which is ridiculous, of course, but that's the advantage of defense in mock trial. You get to attack. You can poke holes. You can talk about you know, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, the burdens on this table and this table alone, all that fun stuff. Uh, those are enormous weapons and advantages. So when I'm writing a case, I try to make the person guilty. And, and last year is a good example. The Gladiator case from 2017 was an espionage case where we literally had a photograph of the defendant turning over confidential information to a Russian operative. I mean, it was on tape. She's handing it over. She's wearing a trench coat in a park and sunglasses and looking guilty. And that case was 5149 for the defense. So if you write them guilty, it should come out around 50-50. And so... Uh, I can tell you this year's case is criminal, and uh, I think the defendant's pretty obviously guilty. That's that's interesting. Are we are we 
Because I know you said you're not letting anything go beforehand. So are we breaking a little bit of news here that it's a criminal case? Or do the competitors know that at this point? I, I did tell the competitors that it's criminal. Sorry. Sorry. I, I, I can try to give you another scoop later during our, our conversation. Well, that? You know, if, hey, if you come up with one, we're, we're going to try to have this thing up before you know, things get going on Friday. So you know, if, if we run into one, that'd be, that'd be cool. Um, I have a, a, a process question or two because you had alluded to it earlier. And you know, I can only imagine how many, you know, with the, just the thousands of competitors nationwide and, you know, just the, you know, the hundreds of you know, invitationals and people winning awards there and whatnot. Um, I don't know how deep you, you want to go into the specifics, but I'm curious sort of roughly what the level of interest was. I know you said it succeeded what you thought, but, you know, sort of where it was. And then just how do you begin paring down, you know, those applicants down to the 16 that you took? So the applications uh, started right away when we announced it on, I think we put an advertisement in the AMTA case, and that's when it started to get uh, wider notoriety. Before that, I'd already reached out to some top programs and said, hey, I'd love for you to send a student, uh, both because I knew that they were great programs, but also I thought that if we could get a few really well-known, fantastic students to commit, that would lend the tournament legitimacy and people would say, okay, this isn't just some fly-by-night event. This is worth my time. And we would draw applicant interest. So we started getting a bunch of applications uh, shortly after that, that ad. They, they kept increasing. And I would say that the only time they started to decrease actually was when we posted the initial list of eight accepted students. Two things happened. One, we started getting fewer applications. And two, the applications we did get tended to be much better. And I think, I mean, this is just a guess, but my guess is people saw the people who had been accepted and thought, oh, I see where the bar is. And some students who would have applied thought, okay, maybe next year, I don't have the credentials yet. Uh, But other students who may not have thought it was worth their time thought, "Mm, maybe it is now. I see who's going. I want to be part of this group. I think I can be part of this group. Uh, And in terms of how we pare them down and try to choose 16, it was really difficult. Uh, at the end, we turned down multiple All-American competitors, uh, students who were on top 10 nationals teams. And we could have you know, knocked eight students out of this tournament, take another eight. I'm not sure that the quality is going to be significantly changed. And that's, that's not a knock on the students we have coming. I think they're amazing. It's just a testament to how many great competitors are nationwide and how many of them wanted to uh, compete for the title. Um, in terms of how... We try to do that. How do we try to figure out the best 16? There's no science to it. We're obviously going to look at individual performance, uh, attorney awards uh, primarily, but also some witness awards. We're looking at team performance. Uh, I want to see that the student has competed on a high stage. They don't have to compete at nationals, uh, but it certainly helps. But the biggest thing is I want to see context. So if you've got 12 awards, but you've never competed at a top tournament, it's hard to know how much value to put on those. Whereas if somebody's an All-American, I know that they are really strong against even the top competition in the country. Uh, we wanted diversity. Uh, I tried not to sacrifice quality to get it. Uh, we wanted gender diversity, ethnic diversity, geographic diversity, and so on. What's really nice is that even without trying to seek that, I think we got that. And I think that's a testament to the fact that one of the great things about mock trials is that anybody can do this. It doesn't matter what you look like or sound like or, uh, or anything else. If, if you are persuasive you can be really fantastic in the courtroom. Uh, so we're, we're really happy with the 
the first year field. Obviously, it's it's a stunningly talented group. It is. We we we've, we've talked about it a lot, you know, between the two of us, and it's you know it, it's hard to even pick, you know, who's going to you know stand out. I think it's truly you know anyone's field. Do you anticipate it ever getting any bigger than sixteen in future years? Um, I don't want to say never, uh, because who knows, but there's something nice about a smaller field. It's more exclusive. Uh, it's certainly from a logistical standpoint, it's easier to run a, a 16 student tournament as opposed to a 32 student tournament. Uh, at some point, if your field is too large, you need to add, add more rounds in order to make sure you get the right winner. Uh, otherwise it becomes too arbitrary in terms of opponents. Uh, I, I could see us expanding. I don't see that happening right away, and I certainly don't see a big expansion. But there's also real benefits to having just 16 because we can pour more resources into the event per student, uh, both in terms of what we provide monetarily. We're, we're giving every student uh, a T-shirt and uh, a sweatshirt. We're providing food for everybody for the weekend. And, of course, there's no registration fee. It's free. Uh, so we're able to do a lot more per student when we have fewer students. But also – when it comes to judging, when you only have 16 students, that means I only have four trials going on at once because each trial has got two lawyers, two witnesses. So our judge counts are great. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm knocking on wood right now because you hope everybody shows up for the competition. Anybody who's hosted a tournament knows that tomorrow I'm going to get a lot of emails from people who are suddenly sick and have depositions scheduled. My, my favorite all-time is a judge who emailed me on a Thursday before a Saturday beach, ball, beach party and said, I'm sorry I can't make it. Turns out Saturday is my wedding day. That's that was a classic, um, and I think he was serious. I think he forgot. Uh, but knock on wood, right now we're going to be at, at at least five judges per round, uh, to the point where I actually stopped judge recruitment because I'm like, I don't know if I can feed everybody. So those are things that are really nice about having a smaller field. It's uh, a nice group. Um, everybody can get to know each other. I've done gladiator with 16 in the first year, and I've done gladiator gladiator with 48 the last two years. It's nice having a big group, but it's a lot less intimate. Uh, the students don't get to know each other as much. And I think for right now, 16 is a good number. All right, Justin. Uh, I have one more question about trial by combat, and that's why one day? And do you think that such a short time to prepare is going to affect uh, these competitors in any way? When you say why one day, you mean why not more or why not less? I'm assuming you mean why not more. Yeah, I, I would say why not more. I mean – even in the real world, a lot of the time, I would hope that some attorneys have more than a day. Most of the time when they don't, it doesn't always end super well. Um, and I'm curious as to why such a short time. So Top Gun uses a 24-hour time period. And anybody who's gone will tell you it is very difficult. I've gone four times, and it is those are the four hardest mock trial experiences that I've ever had. And they're not close. I mean, they're just exhausting and challenging and it's imagine if every one of your first drafts was what you had to use at nationals uh that's that's what that is and that's really tough uh and it's not just a first draft it's the first draft minutes hours after you get the case file you're writing an opening or editing across and you're still trying to remember who the parties are because the names are so fresh in your mind uh when you do it at top gun you realize that it's really hard but you also realize that it's doable and I think our students, and I say our students, I mean the AMTA students, are so talented and so dedicated, so well-trained, that I think that if these law students can handle it, so can the college students. 
Now, I've made this year's problem a lot easier than a typical Top Gun file. Uh, the typical Top Gun problem is somewhere between 250 and 400 pages, which gives me heartburn just thinking about. Um, this year's case is 55 pages. Uh, it's Some of it's very dense, uh, but it's much more approachable than a Top Gun case. You asked about sort of the realism. Like in, real, in the real world, you don't usually get a case with 24 hours to prepare. That's true. But one thing we forget as AMTA competitors and AMTA coaches is the case file you're getting is not the case file that a trial lawyer is getting. We've pared down the irrelevant information, condensed everything into witness statements. Uh, you're not combing through banker's boxes of material and trying to find uh, the needle in the haystack. We're giving you 55 pages of the most crucial information. And given your training and skill, we, we think these, these 16 students are going to do very well. You asked me, how is it going to affect, do I think it'll affect the results? Absolutely. I think that it's going to put a premium on, on intelligence, on adaptability, creativity. Uh, this is not orcs where the ideas that people are using are sometimes other people's ideas that they've taken and polished over the course of months. It's not even uh, orcs in the sense that all these ideas are, are crafted down to the word. You're getting the case. You're going to try to come up with good ideas. And 24 hours later, you're in trial. So I, I think it, it puts a premium on different skills. And I think those are really good skills to put a premium on. Well, I think I speak for everyone when I say we're really you know excited to see how it goes. I'm excited to come and judge. I think it's going to be fantastic. Um, before we wrap up, I have one or two questions on a slightly different well, topic. Well, let me ask you if it's all right. Don't you want some scoops, some, some stuff that, that you're going to hear for the first time about the tournament? I, I was gonna loop back around to that, but okay. let's let's get into it now. I think that'd be I think that'd be great. What do we what do we got? All right, so let me think what I what I can tell you without giving away the the, the farm. Uh, there is something unusual about this case. Uh, I like. I mean, you, you write enough cases, you you like to do something new each time. Uh, I I'm not going to say nobody's ever done it before because I don't know that. There's been a lot of cases written, but we're doing something with this case uh, and the format of the case that I've never seen done high school, college, law school mock trial. Uh, and you'll, as soon as you read the synopsis on Friday morning, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, I'll give you something a little more tangible. We are going to add an element for the final round. So there will be either a new witness or a new piece of evidence for the final round. Okay. That's, that's all very exciting. And I, my understanding also, and I am sure you won't give away anything on this, but my understanding is that the final round witnesses are going to be some uh some some interesting folks we, we try to have fun with the final round witnesses okay all right I'm, I'm looking forward to to hearing about that um well thank you for the for the scoops i think that's i think that's going to make a lot of people very excited i'm excited to read the case so i before we let you go like i said i, I have one or two other questions on a, on a slightly different topic um and that's going back briefly to the topic of law school mock trial one of the things that I, you know, so I, obviously I was an AMTA competitor, I'm AMTA coach now, but I competed for three years in law school. And I think that I totally agree with what you were saying earlier, that I think there's there's a growing trend of AMTA to law school and, and AMTA competitors going and, and, you know, winning law school competitions, um, which by the way, if I'm correct, um, your advocate won Top Gun, right? Phil, who used to compete yeah. at Delaware, am I correct? Phil Pascarello competed for Delaware, did really well there. Uh, and he... I'm going to brag about him because he is as talented and hardworking a student as I could ever ask for. Uh, he 
was the best advocate at Tournament of Champions this year, which is the, uh, think of it as the Gamty, or I'll, I'll do a shout out to my old tournament, the Beach Party of, uh, of Law School Mock Trial. They, they invite 16 schools based on their three-year track record of success. It is a bloodbath of a tournament, and he was uh, the best advocate there. And then he was the Top Gun winner this year. Uh, to say that I'm proud of him is an understatement. N- nobody works harder, and, and he earned every check mark. And and that's awesome. And I, I know how um, challenging of a tournament that is. And I competed in a college mock trial against Eric Fletterman, who competed at American, who I guess he faced in the final round. And so I can only – I haven't seen the video yet, but I can only imagine how high quality of a final round that must be. Eric been. is very, very talented. Uh, and I think that you know Eric got a little unlucky. I mean we, we, we both went in round four. And I say we. I'm talking about the Drexel team and Eric's Michigan team. We both went defense in round five, the semifinal. And I suspect he would have wanted to go defense in the final because then you get to do the same side you just did. Uh, we we won the coin flip, so he's a great competitor, and that's the kind of tournament where a, a coin flip, a check mark, a, a random judge it can go the other way. He's a very very good competitor. So along the lines of law school mock trial, what I you know having existed in that world for for three years and gone to a number of different tournaments, I am fascinated by how you see, especially now that you're you know you're in that world more, uh, how you see these two worlds between AMTA and law school mock trial merging both in terms of like the competitors, but I'm more interested in the logistics. I, I, I'm not sure all of our listeners know, but there is no law school AMTA. You know, there, there is no governing body. There's a number of, you know, you have the TOC and, and then obviously uh, the American Association of Justice Competition and the Texas Young Lawyers National Trial Competition are both regionals to nationals, sort of similar to AMTA, but you don't have an AMTA style body. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on on that world. And then mostly do you ever see maybe your presence in law school mock trial helping move it in the direction of maybe someday having a AMTA of law school mock trial? You're right. There are very different structures between college mock trial and law school mock trial. And I'll give a little bit of background for, for our listeners at home. So there's two spring competitions that have a regional national structure. Uh, and you, you just heard their names. There's AAJ and TILA, the Texas Young Lawyer Association competitions. Uh, those are the only competitions. I think there's actually, I apologize. There's also a labor competition uh, that has a regional national structure. And those are the only ones that sort of have that AMTA structure. But even those, they don't issue a case in advance. And so what that means is all of those invitationals are completely separate. They each have their own case. They each have their own rules. They each have their own structure. And it's much more of uh, a disconnected network of, of competitions. That doesn't make it worse, it's just very, very different. That leads to the fact that teams don't get to know each other in the same way, the same community isn't built. Uh, and it, in some ways, it's sort of like the old college football era where they had you know, split national champions sometimes. There's four events that are considered sort of, I think, by some national championships in, in law school. You've got tournament of champions in the fall, AJ and Tyla in the spring, and then Top Gun over the summer. Um, I'll, I'll do a shout out for Drexel. Drexel won two of them this year. Go Dragons. But it, you're right. It's it's really, really different than AMTA. Um, do I hope that it, it moves in that direction? Um, I would love to see some greater community building, uh, some greater consensus about what constitutes uh, the right way of running a tournament and uh, good rules for running a tournament, best practices. 
as far as whether I'm the person to do that, I think that this in my first year of, of being involved in law school mock trial would be uh, a little bit uh, getting ahead of myself to, to say something like that. But I, I am really excited to be involved in the law school world because it, I love trial competition. I love trial advocacy. And now I'm getting to work with students who are actually about to become lawyers. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting to me. You know, I, I think it's really cool that we're seeing so many, you know, AMTA competitors who had, you know, high level AMTA experience go on to to law school. My um, law school mock trial partner mocked at BU and we, you know, we hit people that we used to hit in undergrad. And I think for me, what I'm excited for and, and what I'm excited, look, don't get me wrong. I competed at Maryland. I'm jealous to be straight up of what you guys are doing at Drexel. We used to play Drexel all the time. And, and we, what the support that Drexel is giving your program is fantastic. Um, I'm really excited to see the two worlds blend more. Cause I think the law school world, you know, I think sometimes the advocacy look high level AMTA advocacy isn't gimmicky, but at the law school world, the, your witnesses aren't scored. And so I think it presents a different kind of advocacy. And I'm really excited to see over the next you know decade or so how the two worlds kind of influence each other and what the back and forth becomes. I agree with you. I think that there is a lot to be learned uh, for each of those competitions from the other. And I don't just mean structurally in terms of rules, but in terms of the actual competition and performances. And I, I think unfortunately, and I don't think this is universal, but I've heard it a lot. I think there's sometimes... Uh, cross contempt between the two. I hear a lot of people who coach college who did law school mock trial saying, oh, law school's not as good. The quality of competition isn't as strong. And then the law school, I hear dismissive a lot of AMTA competition saying, oh, all those students do is invent facts. It's all gimmicky. It's all performance. It's not real advocacy. And this will probably make me unpopular with everybody. I think everybody's wrong. I think that there are real strengths to each of them. Uh, I think that College competition, the students uh, are often more dynamic in trial because that's something that that students and coaches focus on as, as a way to win, and the performance aspect is crucial in real life. You got to be entertaining to a jury. At the same time, though, I think that law schools do a better job of uh, making the cases realistic. The fact that witnesses aren't scored, you're right. That tends to make them uh, more realistic in the way they're portrayed, and it makes it less of an acting competition. You have a lot more dexterity as an advocate in law school in terms of being able to bring motions. Uh, your evidentiary arguments can actually impact who wins the trial in a way they don't usually in AMTA. You have more flexibility in terms of your case arguments. Substance matters more, I think, in a law school competition, not because of the way judges score it, but because of your uh, broader opportunities to do different strategic things in law school. I think that law schools, uh, the top law schools anyway, in trial advocacy are better at real life storytelling at making the story come to life in a persuasive way for the jury, uh, thinking about the best way to create a narrative. Whereas AMTA is a lot more about tactics. Like how do I uh, catch this witness off guard or how do I mess up this lawyer on cross? And I don't think those are bad things. Understanding how to be tactically effective is also really important, but I think that both competitions have a lot to offer each other. And so I, I know that I use the stuff I learned in AMTA a lot, when I'm coaching in law school, but at the same time, as I'm coaching in law school, I'm, I think I'm becoming a better coach seeing how my peers, uh, uh, try a case. Well, we cannot thank you enough for taking the time to chat with us a couple of days before trial by combat. I know Drew and I are both really excited to, 
see what happens. And like I said, I'm going to be there this weekend. So I'm really sort of, you know, the summer can kind of be a lost time for mock trial. So I'm excited to have something to dig into. So thanks for taking the time. And, you know, we're, we're really looking forward to seeing how things go this weekend. Thank you. And, and thank you for judging. Uh, Drew, are you going to be there this weekend? Uh, unfortunately, I will not. Uh, got busy with work, but trust me, I will be watching the live stream and I will be reading the case Friday with uh, bated breath. I guess Drew's not that committed to Montreal. I know, really. Isn't it obvious? If- he's, he's twitching in his seat right now hearing <laughs> you say that. Thank, thank you both for having me. I appreciate it. Welcome back. Uh, we are now going to begin our second interview with Eric Reutemann of Ohio State. Um, we're really excited to hear from Eric after a really interesting uh, talk with Justin Bernstein. Um, but now we're going to get to hear from a fellow competitor. Um, so just a little bit about Eric. Um, Eric is now just a graduating senior. He competed at uh, for Ohio State for the last four years. And at the last two nationals, he was an All-American with 26 ranks in 2017 and 23 in 2018. A very, very impressive resume. Uh, and he's actually been a featured component in Ohio State's recent rise to even reaching a top 10 overall power ranking this past year. So congratulations about that, Eric. I'm sure you must be very proud. Uh, And how's that been, just being a part of Ohio State? By the way, uh, thank you so much. I'm like, I'm flushing. Um, uh, So it's been really, really cool to be part of the the rise at OSU. Um, Before I got to OSU, uh, we had been to nationals once, and um, I believe we finished like 46th or something. Um, so right around the time that I got there my freshman year, our coach came in, Alex Bluebond. Uh, he just came from Duke, uh, and he had won a national championship with Duke. So I came in in Alex Bluebond's first class. And um, so my first year, I like... Uh, I was on his team. Uh, I was on the A team for a little bit. Then I kind of like moved down, uh, and I ended up timekeeping for the A team at nationals, um, and that's what really like solidified my love for mock trial. That that year, my freshman year, um, when I time kept, we, I believe, we finished thirteenth, and it became my goal after that to you know to be the leader of like a top ten team, and I like worked my ass off for that for the last couple years. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a really big thing for me for the last couple of years to uh, for Ohio State to have the success that we had and like uh, I'm it wasn't just me like I mean it was, it, we were a really really hard working team the last couple of years and uh, I was just really really proud to be a part of it and um, yeah I mean nationals was amazing uh, this year and last year it was, it was really really special. I can say from personal experience, I had the privilege of getting to scrimmage with Eric and the amazing Ohio State team that uh, was at Nationals this past year. And they are a tremendous program with tremendous uh, competitors and a great coach in Alex Bluebond. That was that you guys were very good, by the way. Haverford was um, that. So that was our coach's like big note at the end of the night was like Haverford was really good. And he had no idea like Haverford would be as good as um as you guys were, I mean, it, it was, it was, that was a great scrimmage. That was definitely our best pre-national scrimmage, like our most competitive one. Uh, it was a lot of fun. 
Well, so I really want to get to know, uh, you know, you and uh, and Blue Bond, obviously, I'm assuming have done some preparations, uh, getting ready for you know, one crazy day, this upcoming Friday of preparation. Um, have you done anything before, uh, you know, obviously this upcoming Friday to get ready for trial by combat? Yeah, so I've actually been prepping mostly on my own. Um, so what, basically what I've been doing is I, I've been taking the old Gladiator cases um, that like Bernstein has made available. And I like take a day, I prep them. I see like how much I can get done in 24 hours. Um, and so and then in one situation, I, I prepped one of the Gladiator cases along with uh, the Arizona, uh, along with Enrico Trevisani uh, from Arizona and his coach, Nick Beachy, who's one of my good friends. Um, and then me and Enrico had a scrimmage over Skype. Um, and then another time I just took another Gladiator case and I prepped it in one day to see how much I could get done and memorized within 24 hours. Um, so that's basically how I've been preparing, uh, because that's really what's different about this more than anything else is just, uh, being able to prepare a case in, in, in such a short period of time. And I, I thought I'd be able to do it, but like actually preparing those cases showed me like exactly how difficult it would be, uh, like how I need to prioritize my time. Um, so that's how I've been preparing for this. Um, and I feel pretty good about it after prepping those cases. I feel good about it. Well, Eric, uh, being your final tournament, uh, what's your greatest hope for this tournament? I mean, is it really just as simple as winning or is there, you know, someone that you, know, you have a friendly rivalry with that you want to go against one more time or maybe someone that you haven't seen before that you're hoping to get the experience of going against? I guess, well, my number one hope for the tournament would be to win. Um, it's not going to be like a failure if I don't win. Uh, I, I mostly... I'm looking for a fulfilling experience because, like, this is a, a new new kind of thing. I, I'm going to have, like, a lot of fun prepping the case. Um, so um, I, I guess I would say that, like, my my, my greatest hope for the tournament um, is to learn something new, gain some new skills. Uh, in, in terms of any particular competitors that I'd, that I'd like to go against, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of competitors at Trial by Combat who I've competed with before who um, I'd love to see again. Um, so just at Nationals this year, I hit, uh, we hit um, Zeke Starr from Chattanooga, uh, Daniel Kunkel from Miami, and Jack Siegenthaler from Stanford. I'd love to hit any of them again. Um, there's also uh, Chris Grant from Northwood, who's uh, a friend of mine. Uh, he's a really good guy, and we've hit Northwood a bunch of times this year. I'd love to go against him. And now that I've scrimmaged in Rico, it, preparing for this, uh, as part of the scrimmage preparing for trial by combat, I'd love to hit Enrico. Um, so yeah, any of those people, I you know, I'd love to go against. Uh, so I, I guess I would say, I just, I don't know, I, I want to have some good rounds. I, I want to have fun. Um, but yeah, I, I, in the end, the goal is to win. Well, in getting ready for the big day, uh, you know, you're obviously going to have 24 hours to prep this case and it sounds like you've done a lot of practicing with past gladiator cases so what's the strategy that you're using you know are you how much exactly do you want to sleep how much you're going to spend on case theory how much of it is going to be spent on developing a theme uh, you know i know you and that you're very big on clever rules of evidence you know are you going to spend a lot of time on that is there a specific recipe you're going to kind of try to cater towards so i would say that my goal 
in prepping for the case is to have time to come up with clever rules of evidence things. Uh, because you're right, that's like that's probably my favorite thing about mock trial is is uh you know, uh me and Blue Bond would spend a lot of time preparing like weird objections that people would not be ready for. Um and I'd love to be able to have the time to do that here, but I wouldn't say that that I'm going to block time out specifically for for clever objections to start off with. I think primarily I need to make sure that I'm going to have a clean case on both sides. So I'd like to have everything written as early as possible so I can spend a ton of time running and memorizing it. Um, me and Megan, my, my coach, Megan Keenan, my coach for trial by combat, Megan Keenan, uh, we've spent some time talking about like who's going to write what. So we're ready for uh, writing different parts. And I'd like to be done like as early in the day as possible so I can spend like, ideally I'd like to spend more hours polishing and running things um, and memorizing them than writing them themselves. Uh, and then if I have time left over at the end of the day, I would like to work on rules of evidence uh, and objections, stuff like that. Ideally, I'd like to get some sleep. <laughs> um, I I'd probably need like, I, I, I've gotten used to competing on like four or three hours of sleep. So like, we'll see. Uh, I had a particular teammate at OSU who had an issue with, with snoring and I always got put in his room. So I got used to like, I got used to competing on fe on not so many hours of sleep, but I'll need some sleep. So I'm curious, you uh, just mentioned your coach uh, for trial by combat. And I'm curious uh, how you went about selecting uh, the person, cause there's such a, you know, some people are bringing their coach, coach, some people are bringing competitors. Um, how did you select the person that you were going to bring with you? Uh, given, I mean, you only get one person and that's the person who's got to dig in for 24 hours with you. So how'd you pick that person? Uh, so I only ever had like two people in mind. Um, the first was, uh, Alex Blue Bond. Um, and the original plan was that he was going to come and be my coach. Uh, then he got a, a new job. And it started this week, and he couldn't take, like, the Friday off. Um, so the second person, Megan, um, she used to compete at Ohio State. So she was a senior when I was a freshman. And I was on her team uh, towards the beginning of the year. And she taught me, like, all of the fundamentals of mock trial before I knew anything because I didn't do it in high school. So, like, back four years ago, I wrote my first direct, my first cross, uh, my first speech uh all of that was with megan keenan uh she was like very instrumental to all of like, the foundational knowledge that i have about mock trial and besides that she's just one of my good friends um so the last couple of years megan's been at uva law and so she's been a coach for uva uh, she just graduated and uh, she's coming back to columbus next year uh so when i knew that blue bond wouldn't be able to coach she was like the only other person that i uh felt really really comfortable with having as my coach for the for trial by combat. So yeah, that's how I went about selecting it. So Eric, uh, between you and Megan, have you decided, is the strategy going to be divide and conquer, have her write some things, have you write other things, or is it going to be, you know, going at it with, you know, two eyes looking over, you know, four eyes looking over every uh, aspect of it and the two of you kind of working together on writing everything, or is there some other strategy? So I know that some teams have, or some, some, teams are planning on dividing the writing kind of like a, like a prosecution defense kind of thing, you know, just like having the coach write one side, the, the competitor write the other. 
Um, the way I see it, I really have to be involved in preparing the case theory for both sides um, because I need to be like, I need to have the case in my head and I need to be thinking about it um, because it, with so, so little time, it's not enough for, you know, Megan to write everything for one side and me to just, you know, memorize the stuff for that side. I have to be able to like actively think about the case and recall details. So I think the plan for right now is both of us to work together on case theory um, and we'll work together on writing crosses and directs, at least like mapping them out uh, for both sides. And uh, at some point we'll split up, like I'll write openings and she'll write closings. Um, most of my time at OSU, I opened, I have closed before, but uh, for three out of four years I opened. So I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with writing an opening pretty quickly. And she closed back in the day. So she'll be writing closings probably with my input and, you know, I'll get her, her input on opening. So speeches will be, um, speeches will be split up, but in terms of like the substantive case theory, uh, we're probably going to do that together. And I'm glad you mentioned the, the different components, because one of the ones I'm very curious about is the witness component. Um, so I think we, we, based on our research a little bit, you've won many, many awards in undergraduate mock trial, but I think they've all been, or at least almost all of them have been as attorney. So I'm curious how much have you, how much witnessing, and, and I know, you know, might not want to give away the farm, but to the extent, you know, you talk about how much witnessing have you done in college mock trial and what are you thinking about in terms of your, because I know it's only 30%, but your witness performance aspect uh, for the tournament? Okay, so I have done very, very little witnessing in mock trial. I will give you the rundown of the witnesses I have done. Uh, my freshman year, uh, I when I auditioned for the team, I auditioned with a fairly poor Southern accent. And originally, they had me play Dale Williams, the you know the cop from the Park case, um, with a Southern accent and a fake mustache, which I ordered from Amazon, and it was horrible. <laughs> and I went to I think two tournaments, and at the second tournament, my mustache glue did not work well, and the mustache fell onto my lip. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> oh no! during my direct so that did not go well and um then i was taken off of being a witness for a while and i was just opening on one side and then towards the end of the year one of the osu coaches had the idea of making me an expert and she discovered that i have a russian accent because my family is russian uh or my parents immigrated from from the soviet union so i i did a russian accent logan bashir and that was also bad <laughs> Um, like, I, I guess the accent itself was fine. Um, I was not particularly good at being an expert, especially as a freshman, um, <laughs> especially playing Logan Bashir, who oh, very yeah. few people could make a good expert. Oh yeah. It was, it, it was so easy to lampoon me on cross. I just like, just trying to keep the accent straight was one thing. And then like trying to keep facts straight was a whole other thing. It did not go well. Um, and so then I thought I was done witnessing after freshman year, but no, I was not, uh, blue bond liked the Russian accent. And so starting my sophomore year, uh, on the A team, I opened and I did a Russian Ali Thomas. Um, and that went a little better, like just, just a little better. Like I scored. Okay. 
I wrote the jokes and they were not good. They, they, I thought because like my family was Russian, I have like license to just stereotype as much as I want. So it was just like horrible stereotype Russian jokes, like jokes about bears and vodka. And I mean, it was bad. Um, it, there was a couple judges who liked it, um, but for the most part, it didn't go particularly well. And so then after my, uh, after the first semester of my sophomore year, I was finally put as a double attorney, as the double opener. And from that point forward, from January of 2016 until now, I have never done any of this work at all. So that's the history. Well, you may not want to give this away just too, uh, too soon, but do you think you're going to con- return the Russian accent? Or is it going to be more of a straight up and you're a little more worried about getting the facts right? Um, you know, maybe this is bad strategy. You know, I, I don't want to tip off my, my competitors who are preparing for the Russian accent, but, but I think it's, there's a very strong likelihood that I'm not going to be doing the Russian accent. Um, I'm probably just going to play myself and be as professional and polite as possible. Um, and hopefully the witnesses are composed such that I will be able to do that. Um, but I'm not planning on bringing any costumes or anything like that. I I do worry about the witness part a little bit because I feel I'm feeling, especially after prep, I'm feeling really confident about the attorney stuff, witness stuff. uh, Me and Megan are planning on prepping some, uh, just practicing some cross answers and stuff, but um, we'll see how it goes. You know, the, the whole aspect of preparing, obviously. So we're, recording this on Wednesday night and you get the case Friday morning. So um, what are your, as your, I guess really your next 24 ish hours before you get the case, you know, how are you, are you doing anything differently? Are you sort of just, just going to show up and relax and wait for them to hand you the packet? Um, yeah, I, it's, it's mostly that I don't plan on um, doing anything crazy. My flight to Philadelphia is tomorrow morning at, at 1030. Um, I have like a connection through Detroit and then I'll, I think I arrive at like three 30. So I'm going to get to my hotel. Um, Megan's getting there around seven. I think we're going to grab dinner. Uh, and then I think the plan is for her to cross me as various witnesses from this year's case. So I have some practice just being a witness on cross. Cause I haven't done that in a long time. And then I'll probably go to sleep. Um, it, yeah, uh, nothing crazy. I'd like to get a good amount of sleep before the prep day um, because after that, it's going to be a really, really hectic 48 hours. Well, obviously, uh, trial by combat is a very exciting topic. Um, but um, knowing you, I, I know that uh, you're continuing with the legal field and going to law school at Duke. Um, and I'm just wondering, Eric, are you planning on uh, doing anything are you going to continue doing mock trial at Duke? Are you going to do anything with their program or anything like that? Uh, I am. So I've already talked to uh, the head coach of Duke uh, mock trial, who's a three L right now. And um, I will be coaching their undergrad uh, next year. I don't know exactly, uh, you know, which team I'll be coaching or the capacity in which I'll be coaching exactly, but I'll be part of the coaching staff. Um, and I've talked to a few competitors, so I'm, I'm really excited. Um, 
about like the opportunity to coach because I've I've loved one of my favorite things about becoming a senior member on the OSU team is being able to help out the younger members and and teach them. And so I'm actually really excited for coaching. Um, as for competing, I plan on doing law school mock trial and trying it out. Um, I know that, uh, Ben, you have experience, some experience with law school mock trial. Uh, so maybe I'll really like it, uh, but I do plan on doing that uh, next year at Duke. Well, in that case, the big question becomes, when Duke plays OSU, who is Eric Reutemann rooting for? <laughs> so I actually, um, I had um, dinner with some of the OSU, some of my OSU teammates a couple of days ago, and I got the same question. And what I told them was this. Uh, if an Ohio State team... Uh, plays one of the Duke teams that I am not coaching. So let's say I coach like the Duke B team or something like that. I will probably still root for the Ohio State team if they are if they are playing against kids that I'm not coaching. Um, because you know some of my best friends are still on the OSU team. You know I still refer to that as my team. Um, but if if Ohio State hits the Duke team that I'm coaching, the team that has like my theories and the kids that I'm coaching, I'm definitely rooting for Duke because I'm way too competitive to. Uh, to root for the other team in that situation. Well, thank you so much, Eric. Uh, we really, really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, I hope I was like 50% as exciting as Justin Bernstein. And uh, I'm really excited. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Mock Review. If you have a question, suggested discussion topic, or a response to something we said on this episode, you can reach us at themockreview at gmail.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing The Mock Review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or however you listen to your podcasts. This helps us move up the charts and reach more listeners, and it also feels good when you say nice things about us. You can find The Mock Review on social media at facebook.com slash themockreview or on Twitter at themockreview. We also encourage you to leave comments on social media with your thoughts on this episode and our discussion, and we encourage you to tell your friends about the podcast. Our next episode should be sometime next week. We're planning on looking back at Trial by Combat and hopefully talking to some more competitors to get a sense of how things went, maybe even getting a chance to talk to the winner. We're also hoping to take a look back at Nationals. Drew and I will talk about his experience at Nationals, and we'll dig into the final round between Yale and Miami. Until then, this has been The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. Drew.